it's <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. It's Andy's girls. This is a brand new episode. I'm saying to you, but also to myself. Um, <laughs> I sort of wasn't expecting to record today. I think most podcasters are off, understandably so, because it's the 4th of July. Um, but <laughs> I sort of decided. I guess in the middle of recording the last episode with Bravo Bravo, Ducking Bravo, also known as a BBDB, that I didn't want to mention the 4th of July. Now, this is where stuff is going to get a little emotional. And it won't be like this the entire episode. I'm actually very excited for the format of this Um, which I just kind of decided and then opened up on social media and Patreon for people to send me any question that you have inside and outside of the Bravo Housewives universe. So it can be like questions about XYZ relating to me or questions about housewife, what to watch when. Um, and so I was really excited with the idea of doing a Q&A style app because typically I have Satchel of Gold's Satchel Spectaculars on Patreon, where I'm deep diving all of your thoughts and feels, questions and concerns, named in honor of Her Holiness Kelly Clorn Ben Simone, and often, uh, similar to sort of the discussion style on AG, there might be questions, but it's also really, you know, someone will send me um, a really detailed, interesting, informative kind of like analysis or reaction or experience that has influenced an AG's perspective on something going on on Bravo. So this is a little bit different from a satchel spectacular, sp- satchel <laughs> spectacular, because I said, let's do like questions. What questions do you have for me? me. Feel free to deep dive and I'll discuss it on the episode. So I'm excited to get to that. And I have been filled with dread (laughs) about recording this. I actually think if you listen to last year's July 4, I had forgotten the timing of July 4 when the episode was coming out. So I didn't mention this, which is for me ideal. But um, instead of just kind of like, you know, edging around it. So Uh, we're just going to get into it. I'm going to get a little emotional, as you can probably tell, and then we're going to move the fuck on. So here we go. July 4 is a very (laughs) difficult day for my family. My brother, Jeff, my older brother. um, Oof, God, I wasn't expecting to cry this quickly, but that's also probably why I didn't want to record something to be new going on July 4. Anyway, at a 4th of July pool party, 25 years ago today. This is the 25th anniversary, which is so insane. My brother dove, drove, no, that's not what happened, dove into the shallow end of a swimming pool at um, a pool party at at, um, the house of one of our very, very, very close and dear family friends and sustained a high-level spinal cord injury. He is now a high-level quadriplegic, as he has been for the last 25 years. And he went from being an extremely athletic, physically um, active high schooler to being essentially in many ways trapped in his body where he has remained. He's also the smartest guy you'll ever meet in your life, empathetic, he's a great listener, and he's a quadriplegic. Um, it's the thing I try not to use as an identifier and, you know, I go in and out of this, but oftentimes I try to remember 
the importance of language and the, the ways that we use language differently. So when I'm able to breathe and think about it, I say that he lives with paralysis as opposed to he is a quadriplegic because that is not the entirety of who he is. But I have to say, if I'm being pretty honest, that that act and that moment changed and broke our family in a way that could never be repaired. And it's one of those moments where you think that with time, uh, where you think that with time, things will heal. And the reality is, for many people who've experienced loss or trauma, the idea of that is obviously, um, you know, a helpful way to think of things and to process things. But the reality is, for my family, it has made life in the ensuing years much more difficult and complicated. And I would be lying if I said, oh, and we learned so many life lessons and we're stronger together as a family. That, that has not been the experience um, of how this broke apart, I think, the soul of our family in a way that can never be healed. And it's something that, you know, it's, it's just a terrible, <laughs> it's a terrible moment. So when people say, what are you doing on July 4? I always kind of like sort of laugh to myself because I'm like, oh, it's the worst day my family has ever experienced. So for a terrible event to happen on a day that many people, not all people, but many people receive as a day filled with celebration. I mean, fireworks go off on this day. Meanwhile, July 4 for my family, I mean, I cry every year. I usually wake up in the morning and I'm just filled with dread. I have so much anxiety in the days before July 4, knowing that the day is coming up. I mean, it's really a difficult day to kind of get through. And I'll be in Rhode Island for it, um, where I try to be on, on the 4th of July. Obviously, COVID made that difficult when it came to travel, but uh, certainly for the 25th anniversary, I wanted to be there. And, you know, it's... Um, I was actually talking about this with Dylan Hafer yesterday because I said, you know, I think I'm going to record an episode. And um, I remember when I had Dylan on an episode that was leading into the 4th of July, I think it was a couple years ago. And I remember just completely breaking down when I was recording with him because it's, you know, not an ideal thing to for me to discuss. And it's wild when you think about the fact that this thing happened 25 years ago. And the idea of saying out loud July 4, I literally start to sob. It's, um, it kind of shows you the lasting power of that kind of accident. And I say this not to wallow in it or to live in that place. Um, you know, I have a residence there in my mind. I don't need to um, you know, add on an additional lease, but to say that I have a platform and I felt so much guilt at the idea of letting an episode go by and not using that opportunity and and feeling a responsibility to just talk a little bit before I get into the Q&A and some like fun stuff, I swear to God that I really wanted to be responsible to myself and, you know, just kind of share my family's history as upsetting as it is for me to discuss 25 years later, because there's an opportunity here. I know that there are a number of AGs who I've heard from, um, who I did hear from after discussing, you know, on previous 
uh, episodes that um, went out over the July 4 holiday um, discussing the importance of diving safety. And I heard from people who said, listen, um, you know, after listening to your family story and what you experienced, we're changing the game with how we're, you know, having a vacation or I'm making sure that my kids aren't diving at all, no matter where we are. And that is like the single best thing that a person could ever tell me if, if through the course of, I don't even know how many years AG has been around. I think I've been saying seven, but it might be six. I really, truly couldn't tell you. But over the course of 400 plus episodes, I think that has been among the very, very, very most meaningful things that I could ever hear. It makes me so happy because I want to hopefully help as many people as possible avoid um, the kind of life that my family now leads as a result. And so I wanted to share some information from the Shepherd Center, which is one of the best places in the country to go for spinal cord injury related rehab, um, among other um, injuries. And it's actually where my brother went for rehab following his accident. And I thought, you know, how helpful could it be just to share a little bit of information? And then I promise we're going to get to some Q&A. So per the Shepherd Center, the thing that I also hold very, very dear is the only safe dive is the one you never take. The reality is, regardless of where you are, how deep you think the water is, how many people are diving before or after you potentially being on vacation. I don't know if you're like a housewife going off a fucking yacht in the Mediterranean or whatever, below deck style. The only safe dive you will take is the one you never make. So someone decides to dive into the water, resulting in a life-altering injury. It's easy, it's that quick, and it's that common. It's also one of the most preventable causes of spinal cord injuries. According to the National Spinal Cord Injury Statistical Center, diving is the fifth leading cause of spinal cord injury for men and women. And the injuries occur in swimming pools, as it did for my brother, lakes, rivers, creeks, whatever the fuck a swimming hole is. That was my um, (laughs) additional. Shepherd Center didn't say whatever the fuck. That's just the little extra zhuzh that I'm bringing to this. In just about any water environment that you can think of, there's no such thing as a safe dive. Any single dive can change your life and the lives of your loved ones forever. The Shepherd Center sees it every day. The risk outweighs any reward from diving. There is no such thing as a safe dive. Go feet first every time. There are a few things you can do to avoid a diving injury. The best way to enter the water is always feet first. Never dive into the shallow end of a pool, as my brother did. Some injuries are caused by hitting the far side of a pool or swimming hole. Depth is not the only thing to be concerned about. Know that there are often hidden objects in lakes, rivers, etc. Avoid alcohol when you're swimming. Realize that when you dive, your body is a torpedo cutting through the water, and that water may not protect you from a severe act. Just because you used to dive somewhere does not make it safe. You may have grown and underwater surfaces may have shifted. And all of that is really important. I see so many friends who I see on vacation or swimming or whatever who are making dives, and it. I've, I try to communicate as best I am. That is such a terrible... <laughs> idea 
just do you should not ever dive. That is the number one most helpful way to avoid a spinal cord injury. And the the worst aspect of this, you know, out of many aspects, is the number of young people, especially young men, who are injured as a result of diving. So if you are at a pool party or if you are on vacation at a beach, regardless of the age, please, please be aware that this is such an easy thing for you to change that could have unbelievable consequences for your life and the lives of your loved ones if you do not. And, you know, the next time you're thinking about it, just don't. I mean, my brother dove into the shallow end of a swimming pool because it looked very deep. He was 17 years old. He made a mistake and he will live with that mistake for the rest of his life. It's not worth it. So please don't. If you like AG, <laughs> you could sign up for the Patreon or you could just not dive, honestly. Um, it would mean a lot to me <laughs> if you didn't. And, you know, pass that information along. And uh, there's something that I wrote on the 4th of July several years ago that I'll post on Instagram that um, I think helps reset the perspective for a lot of people who've experienced traumatic situations or crises with their own health or their family's health or the health of a loved one. And it's just the idea of trying to reconceptualize a day that's often filled with anxiety and dread and to just say, you know what, this is a terrible day for our family, but this is also a day when he did not die. And to kind of think of that through the perspective of gratitude and thankfulness, which is not to ignore what actually happened or the results of that. But just to also say there's an additional element here, which is the fact that he's still with us. And I'm very thankful for that. And on that note, my goodness, what a way to open an episode to just break the fuck down. Wouldn't, it's not the first time. (laughs) And it won't be the last. And it also feels in many ways for a pod that's based in psychology and behavior and feelings, thoughts and feelings. Um, You know, it's not um, out of pocket (laughs) for Andy's girls for me to just start sobbing. Okay. Anyway, you guys sent me so many questions, so many thoughts and feels. And I'm so excited to do this. I really, truly, it's one of the reasons why I love the AG Patreon, because there's nothing I love more than to get a, th- a thesis satchel. I mean, I have gotten satchels of gold with an index. That's like, on this, I'm going to deep dive points one, two, three, four. I mean, I love it. There's nothing I could love more. So to answer your questions, um, as diverse as they are, is exactly what I feel like I should be doing. This is my life's purpose, truly, is to do this q and I'm very excited. Okay. First question, what's your all-time favorite Bravo show? Now, AG, who asks this, it is so difficult for me to choose the first of anything. In fact, the fact that I even have a top five of Housewives that I've discussed on previous AGs, which I'm sure will 
will change as frankly it should um as you know perspectives and opinions change with time um it's so hard for me to say a top of anything I am that person you may have noticed this on Andy's girls but I live oftentimes in a world of gray and when I'm thinking in black and white there is some sort of dynamic that I am trying to both observe and unpack that leads me to the point where I'm like oh I fucking hate this person or oh I fucking love this person and that is what I love 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 to unpack So all that being said, here's the God's honest truth as I sit here today talking it out. Number one favorite show, I would say historically, that's just unbelievable, like nothing else, would have to be Married to Med. I haven't seen the offshoot, the LA version, really, truly Married to Med OG which is one of those shows, if you have the time, I mean, honestly, cancel your plans, quit your job, tell the fam you're going on vacation, and then just go to Peacock and tuck the fuck right in because you're going to want to see it through. It is one of those shows that I would recommend seeing from the start just because the quad and Mariah of it all, the way that relationship goes up and down, you know, Mariah leaving the show, coming back, leaving again. I think it's you know, history is important, okay? We want to respect, and dare I say this, but it's meant with total love, our elders. And by elders, I just mean the older seasons of a show. Not a Bravo Lab specifically, but just to say, if you love a show, but you haven't seen the previous bajillion plus seasons, how do you know how much you love it? Especially for moments and seasons that aren't great. It's like it makes you appreciate the ones that are. I say this noting also that if you just want to watch the most recent season, I would rather you watch it than not. Um, But Married to Med's storytelling is incredible. The focus on marriages and relationships and breakups is unbelievable. And Andy himself, I've referenced this any number of times, but there is a reunion arc talking about the pending impending divorce between Dr. Simone and Cecil that will blow every other reunion, most especially Housewives, out of the water. Andy, during the reunion himself, says, this is the realest shit I have ever seen because two cast members who've been married for a while and struggling come to the reunion and say, we are breaking up. And then through the course of the rest of the reunion, Members of the cast do the absolute most work, wives with each other, husbands with each other, to say it is not over yet. It is unbelievable. And I know there are so many questions with other franchises and friend circles of do these people actually like each other? When you look at Married to Med, noting, of course, there's a lot of conflict there and tension and truly not everyone loves everyone else. I mean, hello. Hallmark of an excellent show, um, at least according to the Bravo standards. And those are the standards that I'm currently following. Um, You can tell the love and focus and energy that these people in the cast have for each other, that these couples have for each other. And P.S., you're not doing that with every relationship on Married to Med, because some of those marriages 
are not going anywhere good. Um, so that would be my all time. Just the 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 touchstone for me is married to med. If I'm thinking in the world of housewives, or you know, I talk about spiritual housewives, which is a spiritual housewife, which is not necessarily the housewife that you love the most, although it definitely could be. But also the housewife that you see yourself in or the housewife that you connect with. And sometimes a spiritual housewife could be like the person of maybe I identify with this person, but I want to avoid mistakes that I have seen them make. Whatever it is, however you envision it, you get to define who your spiritual housewife is. If I think of my spiritual franchise, I, I think it would be New York. I really think it would be New York obviously classic New York, because that's the only New York we know. But there's something about that specific kind of energy, the sense of humor that the women have on New York. I also have to say, as a native Rhode Islander, when I was growing up, whenever I saw anything, I saw this a lot with the Farrelly Brothers movies, if I ever saw anything that referenced Rhode Island or Providence, I would lose my fucking mind. I couldn't be more excited to see things that I see every day um, replicate and shown through the world of entertainment. And maybe that's just the thing that everybody has. But I do have to say a part of the fun for me as a New Yorker is like the fact that when I do go on walks, I walk by the Regency more often than not. I mean, I walk by the Regency multiple times throughout the week. And sometimes I notice most times I don't. But when I do notice, I'm like, oh, LOL, <laughs> history happened here. So those are the, you know, when I was just rewatching a bunch of season seven randomly, because that's how life happens when it comes to rewatches. And Ramona talking about like going to the Cipriani by the Sherry Netherland, like knowing where, I'm pretty sure I just mispronounced that pronunciation. So thank you so much. Um, Sherry Netherland, um, neither nether, potato, potato. Let's write the whole thing off. Um, When Ramona's talking about like some bougie lunch or something that she has, and I know exactly what she's talking about. And I can imagine in my mind who was in the room when she was looking at someone's chicken dish and like salivating over it as she tells Dorinda, there's nothing that makes me happier in this world. So all-time favorite would be married to med, but spiritual all-time favorite, I guess, or spiritual franchise would be New York. And in many ways, New York is also um, maybe my fave. Okay, question about New York. I would love to know how you feel about the Real Housewives of New York coming back. Such a good question. And it's one that I have thought a lot about. And it's not just a good question because I thought about it, but that doesn't hurt. Um, I have gone through, I think, truly all of the stages of grief and coping absolutely out of order when it comes to how I feel about New York coming back. I think I was sort of honestly shocked when the announcement first came out. Uh, there's going to be an entirely new cast, a new vision, and then we're going to have Legacy. Very upset when Legacy got canceled. Concern and confusion about casting news. I have felt a lot of concern and a little bit of upset about the initial casting because there's something so specific and wonderful about the stories that are told on Housewives by women in their, you know, 50s, late 50s plus. And to see that the casting is like so much younger than that 
did make me feel a certain way and also that many of the housewives have a sort of influencer energy made me a little concerned for what this vibe was going to be and I am someone who historically is terrible at letting go like really really bad the second I lose something I'm like regardless of if I liked it I'm like oh I need that back and the thing of it is when I think about classic New York and, you know, how I think about New York as my spiritual franchise, rewatching random episodes, the reality is that New York, you know, stopped being a reality because season 13 was so, so, so terrible. It's easy for me to hold on to the idea of like, I don't want to let these women go. And who knows what will happen with Scary Island Girls Trip. I'm hoping against hope that it's a big success and that will propel some sort of spinoff that's longer than the amount of episodes we'll get on Girls Trip and maybe with more members of the alum New York cast. Noting all of that, the reality is 13 was terrible. And the ways that I look at individual housewives, it's like, you know what? The the game was broken. We're, the puzzle pieces no longer fit. And as I have seen some of the promotion for New York, I've actually, I, I'm sort of one of those people, when I'm referenced as a content creator, there's a part of me that's like, LOL, because there is a lot of content that I just actively do not watch. I don't know what that means, but when people are, um, you know, watching and deep diving these like bonus seven minute previews, I really have come to a place of trying to avoid it. Not always. And there are moments where I'm like, oh my God, I need to see that immediately eight times, um, especially when it comes to specific reunions. But I feel like universally, as of right now, I try to stay from a lot away from a lot of content because I want to meet these women, especially for the first time during the premiere episode. Um, so as great as that is, as important as it is to like market the show and all of that, it's fantastic. I just know for myself, I'm like, oh, you know what? The vibe and energy that I'm feeling right now is one of hope and one of me wanting to, you know, experience the first episode in its entirety where I really am potentially surprised. So that's kind of what I've done. Like Bravo's done these incredible promotions that are Playbill themed, Broadway themed, New York, New York themed, which I love. I like love seeing the energy there, but I have not really um, certainly deep dived a lot of the content coming out, especially specific moments from the premiere episode, because I just want to be able to watch it when I can watch it in full. And I have to say also that from what I have seen, I really do feel more excitement than I did before. I'm like starting to understand the fact that like this specific energy, this generation of housewives might be a lot of fun. And Miami is a different example because Miami obviously um, featured and was built around uh, return housewives as well as new housewives, totally new stories. So it's hard to compare the two, but there is the idea of like, you know what? These women together might actually create a dynamic that has nothing to do with classic New York, and that might actually be a positive because I just have to keep reminding myself season 13, season 13, season 13, which, you know, I actually rewatched the first episode of 13 recently because of the autoplay. I certainly didn't um, 
mean to do that. And the first episode of season 13 was like, I think a solid episode. It's just the rest of the season and the direction of the show moving forward. It felt like it was at such an impasse that I just have to remind myself it's not like the option was season seven, season six, uh, LOL season three, you know, to me, the best season of any franchise ever. It's not like that was really the option that would have existed were it not for the reboot. And I'm excited to see what happens. I feel like these women, the energy that they're bringing, I think it could be really positive for us and certainly for, you know, podcasters. There are stories that we have been telling and obviously watching for so many years. It is exciting to have new stories. So I feel today my energy is I am hopeful. The the feeling I would describe is hopeful and a little excited and also more to come about um, <laughs> New York specifically in the next couple weeks. Okay. Will you ever finish Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Season 3? What were your thoughts on it before you stopped? That's such an interesting question. So uh, I stopped watching Season 3 at whatever point Giselle made an absurd anti-Semitic comment. Um, she intended to be a joke on her podcast and then refused <laughs> to um, discuss it, apologize for it, understand why it was so upsetting and problematic, um, including through now. I don't think she's ever addressed it. And it was something that I talked about on social media, which page six brought up. I discussed it with Robin privately. Um, I don't think uh, Robin or Giselle ever, uh, mentioned it again. I did ask Robin repeatedly to remove the comment and discuss it on an upcoming episode. So that it wasn't just like a, what I have referred to before as like a dirty delete where something is removed that existed. And then people who were upset about it are like, wait, this thing was taken out. Thank you. But also can we talk, we're missing the other piece of this, which is talking about why that happened. Um, so I had a conversation with Robin about it pri privately and, uh, um, the intention was for them to remove it, according to Robin, which unfortunately did not happen. Then page six covered it and then it was removed. So I was really thankful, honestly, and remain thankful to Robin for being open to having a conversation. Um, I don't think Giselle is. And I think it's just added to the list of dumb shit that she has said over the years that she just, I would assume, eye rolls about. I really couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you how you, she feels. Maybe she's like, learned uh, something, but I wouldn't know because she hasn't communicated that. So um, who knows? Um, and so from that point, I was like, LOL, I'm fine. So I, I have no interest in amplifying Giselle's dumb fucking behavior on an already dumb season of Girls Trip in light of this. I'm like, I'm okay. If she doesn't care about understanding why some of her words can be problematic. I have no interest in being like, let's talk about Giselle's time on Girl's Trip. And also it was like the lowest possible, um, you know, thing I could do, honestly, because I thought Girl's Trip was so fucking bad. Um, so do I think I will return to it? Probably not. I think that all that happened maybe at the beginning of the tequila bottle of her saying who drank my tequila, which I thought was so ridiculous and so stupid. And it felt like a hate watch while I was watching it. I don't know how that happened, but I think the casting was not great. I don't think the vision of what this was going to turn into was as solid 
uh, or as specific as it was season one or two. And I just really had no interest in watching it. And I'm trying to embrace the idea of like, especially because it's not a Housewives franchise, but I've done that too um, once with Orange County. The idea of like, if I'm getting no enjoyment or value out of this, I am going to remove the guilt um, or responsibility I feel to like watch something that is going to actively make me feel bad. Um, And thank God that we have so many other shows and moments and, and situations and events to deep dive. Paris is always a good idea. And when I schlep on over to Europe to my favorite city in the world, I bring with me a few important phrases that I have learned from housewives. C'est bon, c'est bon. Chic, c'est la vie. Je m'appelle the Countess. N'est-ce pas, Luanne? And while those key phrases are important when speaking to any French bravoholic for other matters of life, That's where Rosetta Stone comes in. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including, of course, French. It features fast language acquisition. It immerses you in so many ways. There's no English translations. So you really learn to speak, to listen, and to think in that language. It's an intuitive process. You pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. J'adore Chris Manzo. Et toi? There's a speech recognition filter which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's convenient with desktop and app options. And it's an amazing value. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. A steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorinda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. 
A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and Go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash andysgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andysgirls. Sign up today. I just came back from the salon, and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. (laughs) Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time (laughs) with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells unbelievable. Believable, Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. 
In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDESGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDESGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. Um, so, you know, do I regret not watching the rest of the season? Absolutely not. Did I hear it was bad? Yes. Have I heard from people who enjoyed it? Yeah, and God bless. That's the goal. The goal should be that you enjoy and or find value out of the shows that we're watching. But I just thought it was such a stupid season and like dumb stuff was discussed and there was such a disconnect between the cast that prohibited like interesting moments from happening I just was extremely not into it so um not great my TLDR what were your thoughts not great and do I think I'm gonna go back nope uh and that could change at any time okay um another question will Real Housewives oh my god you guys breaking news oh my God, you guys, breaking news I just got from friend of the pod, Louis Peitzman, Kyle Richards, and Mauricio Umansky have separated after 27 years of marriage exclusive. This is coming at you fucking live. Holy shit. Kyle Richards and Mauricio Umansky have separated after 27 years of marriage. People confirms a source close to the pair tells people Kyle and Mauricio have separated for a while now, but are still living under the same roof. They remain amicable as they figure out what's next for them and their family. Can you tell I'm losing my shit? Richards, 54, met Umansky, 53, at a nightclub in 1994. Oh, I didn't know that. At the time, Richards was divorced from her first husband with whom she had one daughter. Farah. After getting engaged later that year, the couple tied the knot in January 96 and went on to welcome three daughters. 2010, they were introduced to the public when Housewives of Beverly Hills began. Umansky told people in March 2013, oh, 2013, we're the same with or without cameras. We're just super real and we know each other and we're real. I love real and real. We don't have any secrets to hide. That's one thing we talked about, the skeletons in the closet, and we can handle our worst skeletons. Holy shit. They marked their 25th wedding anniversary in January 2021 and appeared to be happier than ever. Oh, my God. So obviously there has been an online conversation about Kyle potentially um, having a relationship or becoming close to someone uh, that she had met. And um, 
my focus really has been on the idea of questions concerning Kyle and Mauricio, because the idea of a marriage going through something is often the hallmark and foundation of any given season of Housewives. We have seen it how many times on Beverly Hills? Um, Kyle, as is her job, has also discussed other people's marriages and relationships, sometimes in an incredibly problematic manner. She is also in my top five, where she will remain for the time being. And this is something that I've been having offline conversations with, with a number of friends in the LOL, content creator community, podcasters, whomever else, because too many of us, for me at least, previous questions about Kyle and Mauricio, as we have seen on on prior seasons, the LVP Brandy stuff with the bringing a magazine and making jokes in front of a very young Portia about Kyle and Mauricio's marriage. That has been a hallmark of the show, especially with Mauricio, who has had an enormous amount of attention on him as, you know, being seen as one of the hottest house husbands. I mean, the man is hot. You Hot now, hot later, will remain hot in Beverly Hills. And um, so there, I, I can't imagine the kind of tension on that, by the way, when, you know, your husband, who is very attractive, becomes you know, trademarked very <laughs> attractive by the vast majority, not everyone, but the vast majority of viewership on Bravo. I can't imagine what that kind of does to a relationship because it's one thing to have a lot of attention and maybe questions around any marriage or relationship on Housewives, regardless of any potential perception of instability, but it's quite another to have your husband seen as like extremely fuckable. <laughs> Even as like an LOL, people don't mean anything by it. But just to be like, he's really hot. Like, I don't know if I was Kyle, how I would handle that. I would be extremely not into it while being like, oh, this is great. I don't think knowing my personality type, I just the level of like, paranoia that I would feel, understanding that once you're in the public eye, people are going to have a feeling and better it be positive than negative. I don't know how I would feel about a large element of the viewership being like, he's so sexy. (laughs) Let's talk about how hot he is. But this was a circumstance that, you know, there has been so many questions over their relationship prior, sometimes uses plot, which has been something that Kyle obviously hasn't been thrilled with. And the reality is um, there was something about this time that felt different. And for people who live on the public eye and understand how to utilize social media um, and understand the risk often that comes with social media where things might be seen or sensed um, that can add tension to an otherwise healthy relationship and dynamic. That's just that's just what happens when a bunch of people say something is off um, that can, you know, I'm sure make someone feel frustrated. Uh, so prior questions around their relationship, I didn't believe, I have to say, or I felt like, well, you know, if Mo, if something's going on with Mo and somebody else, they seem solid in their relationship and we don't actually know regardless of the fact that this is reality TV and we're getting an inside peek and definitely just through the amount of time 
in which these people are filming, there are moments that are going to come to light and going to be sharpened or seen as potentially more obvious or or just noticeable just because it's not about protecting or hiding something. It's just to me, which couldn't be a part of it. It's also to me the very nature of just filming hundreds of hours of your life that at a certain point, the way that some housewives say, you know, I don't even notice the cameras are there. I, I understand that. I believe that. And I also think they're they're going to pick up on things just because, you know, of the quantity of time being filmed. And so am I really sad about this? Yes. Uh, did I expect it in light of just a sense that I've had as someone who has spent an awful lot of time talking about these people and just having a gut feeling, which doesn't mean it's right. It just means that for me, I can sometimes feel when I feel like there's been a temperature change. And I felt that this time. And I don't, I, it's hard for me to even unpack why, except to say that I just, I believed it. I believed that something in their relationship had changed. Some of that was relating to the way that they weren't interacting with each other on social, which is in many ways the the one of the kind of temperature controls, especially if you're not watching the current season. Um, and so, you know, it's sometimes it's like a gut instinct that something feels off, off and that doesn't mean it's, uh, you know, true. It just means that that's what it is. It's what I've talked about on recent episodes of the Patreon and AG Classic, the fact that something feels different. And so am I really sad about this? Like I I am I am sad. I think that they've been such a long-standing solid couple, but also things change. People change. The circumstances change. Where you are in your life, you know, however many years ago, I mean, decades ago does not mean that you are going to be the same person that you were when you first got married. And, you know, it's like we think about the dinner party from hell. He will, you know, never emotionally fulfill you. Know that. And when the kids are over, are older, something will change. Doesn't mean that Alison Dubois was right, but it does mean that there's something to be said for the idea that a relationship can change. I think she was speaking from both the present and the future. We have no idea how Kyle felt in that moment while filming was going on. It felt like a, to me, it felt like the wrong take. As Camille later said, you know, I think Allison was actually sensing my energy with Kelsey when she was focused on Kyle or not. I mean, it does feel like the idea of emotional fulfillment maybe for Kyle has changed. Maybe the dynamic that she had with Mauricio has adjusted. He's also has his own reality TV show now on Netflix. The kids are on that. Kyle is like booked and busy like never before. She's got a lot going on. And a part of their next chapter and journey maybe was no longer being together in that way. I think that I would assume another assumption that this is a separation. We don't know that this will lead to divorce, but regardless of how their family may look with Kyle and Mauricio no longer, um, you know, potentially together. I mean, they their separation was just announced, so I would argue they're no longer together. But I do think that they will hold strong to their family unit because they're both such excellent parents. I mean, the Kai, you cannot say, or you can. I mean, you know, the right to your own opinion. I think Kyle's an excellent mom and a protective mom, and I think both Kyle and Mauricio 
will put in the work and the hope, right, to ensure that their dynamic as a family will continue regardless of what is going on with Kyle and Mauricio, specifically noting that, you know, things change and people change and who knows what will happen. I think it will be as amicable as humanly possible. I really do. I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to, you know, at whatever time feels healthier or appropriate, or maybe just continue throughout um, as Kyle posted, you know, that she was going on a hike with Mo this week, which seemed relatively out of pocket considering um, a real lack of um, social media stuff with each other um, in the last weeks and months, um, that they will continue to potentially lean on each other and um, focus on their family moving forward. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kyle Mauricio in a year, you know, celebrating Christmas with the kids together, even if they're no longer um uh, together themselves, especially with that. Um, and I think that is something that's like a positive potential role model for people to look at, noting that that's not um, available for many couples that understandably so. At the end of the day, there is a reason you're no longer with this person. And sometimes that can influence the ways that people change as the result of going through a separation or divorce. I'm just very hopeful that they will be able to continue and focus on hopefully a healthy, because that's number one, um, an intentional relationship as a family with their kids in whatever that looks for them, um, I think is important. And I, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate. This is one of those circumstances is happening, breaking news while I record. OM fucking G. I mean, it's, it is, it is, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. And it's it makes me wonder what um, the upcoming season of BH will look like, um, how much of a focus there will be on Kyle and Mauricio's marriage, if that's going to be one of the touchstones of the season overall. Like, who knows? Who knows? You know, those editors right now are like shifting the dynamics with the trailer to make sure that this is a part of it. Um, I really I'm curious. <laughs> Like that my Instagram while I'm pulling up people's reactions goes to Kim Zolciak singing Google me. But listen, I'm going to Google this. You know what I'm saying? It's it's um, it's going to be a topic of conversation as it has been. Um, and I'm curious for Kyle's thoughts on this when she is um, able to share more. And also, I keep forgetting what I never remember, like this season of what's coming up and when Beverly Hills will premiere. I feel feel like it's not far away. So, you know, the press cycle for that will be interesting. And um, and I honestly genuinely not to be a cheese ball, which I absolutely also am, but I'm just like sending them love because this is complicated and difficult. And, you know, there has been so much said about their relationship through the years of Housewives. And again, Kyle has said a lot about other relationships as well, as is her job, although I would argue her takes have not always been great. Um, so it's a lot to go through. It's a, it's a lot. It's, you know, you could say this is what they sign up for. And it's like, okay, got that, copy that. But that doesn't make it, um, uh, any easier. You know what I'm saying? Like you can have many opinions and feelings at, at once. I mean, BCC Andy's girls, you know, so totally to be continued. We'll see, we'll see, um, what happens. I, it's, it's sad. It's sad. It's not surprising to me 
It really is. And if I'm going to be 100% honest, but it is absolutely sad. So it makes me sad, but also they were together for so long. And I know that the response to that is like, they were together for so long. How do you break up? Trust me, sometimes the, you know, I've had this conversation with people about relationships because I am not in a long-term committed relationship and I'm so um I'm always so interested to hear other people's perspectives who are and or were and I think people can change over time and and the per it's like especially you know if you were together going on 30 years um the idea that you would change as people is um shocking to people who are hearing of a relationship and um it's obviously I'm sure um, painful for some people to process and, um, and others might be like, I don't care. And that's all okay. A lot of different fields can exist under the same umbrella. Um, I just, honestly, it's, you know, the love can just change. That's what I'd say. It doesn't mean it's no longer there. I just think it can shift into something else. And I think that, um, I think that honestly, as realistic as this may or may not be, I really truly do think that they will be united throughout and they're just going to try to figure out and find their way. It's, it's, this is messy. Love is messy, messy stuff. And doing that in front of a bajillion people, especially members of the Bravo community who are oftentimes <laughs> ever so slightly chaotic is a lot. It's just a lot. So I'm just sending the fam love and, um, I'm so, fucking curious for what um what next season will bring okay continuing on more questions I don't know if that literally happened while recording so people are gonna potentially listen to this thinking oh my god she starts with that and it's gonna be like no I'm gonna tell you why (laughs) July 4 breaks my heart okay um continuing on one of the questions sent yesterday is the Kyle and Mauricio marriage over love to hear your thoughts well you just did um here's another question. This is why I love you guys, because I really, truly said inside or outside Bravo. Curious if you're considering adopting again. I'm ready for a new fish journey for you. Well, first off, I have to send love to my sweet, sweet boy um, who has left us and just started a different journey um, in the East River, which is where I had his uh, burial at sea. P.K. Kemsley Galley, Paul Kemsley, Kemsley Galley, um, did in fact, unfortunately, pass over Easter weekend. Um, he did not come back to life as I assumed he would. Um, and so am I thinking about getting another fish? A hundred percent. I would love to. I'm trying to stay away from Petco because I know if I go in, I really go off of fish energy and <laughs> so God forbid I fall in love. Um, Lord knows I really did everything in my power because he unfortunately was sick toward the tail end um uh, oh tail um so would I love to do that again you know it's my social media was like just there was a lot of PK the fish content on there and so I would love to do that again I was also thinking about did this come up on Andy's girls I feel like it did that Sheena's the name she was going to um, give the child she might have with Rob Valletta. I thought that might be an interesting, funny name. I feel like it sort of does have to be Bravo themed, although I wouldn't be upset at Pedro Pascal. <laughs> Listen, I said I wasn't in a long term relationship. That could change, okay? Oh my 
just don't want to upset you guys by talking about my love. I don't want to anger anybody who's also feels that way about my absolute husband. Um, okay, continuing on. Do we need new cities with new housewives rather than hoping each season is a return to form? Great question. Um, do we need new cities with new housewives? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think that what Bravo is doing is saying... Um, a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, Salt Lake City being the newest franchise um, and, you know, the Miami reboot uh, brings with it a lot of challenges. It's like the little uh, the element of whiplash of people joining Housewives this late into the Housewives universe as an entirely new franchise and then seeing changes potentially to their personality um, as they um, uh, reach um, either celebrity, adoration, fame, whatever that is, is interesting. It can also be slightly disconcerting because it feels sometimes like those um, seasons are run at like 1.5, if not like three, where it just everything is processed so quickly because that's just the nature of how social media works, how blog slash media attention on all things Bravo works. Um, to anybody questioning the power impact of um, Bravo need only look at the waves that um, uh, traditional media covers and focuses on Housewives and other Bravo webs because they know that it sells. I mean, that is one of many examples of Bravo's kind of staying power and also monetization. So I think they're going to continue to figure it out. I mean, do I think that they will do an entirely new reboot to an existing franchise as they're doing to New York? Um, not right now. I don't think anyone franchise is in as much trouble of completely falling apart as New York was um, by the end of season 13. Um, and so um, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Honestly, I think there are so many franchise franchises right now and a lot of franchises that are doing really well. Maybe the judge of that will be um, whether or not the New York reboot takes off and how that performs. Um, and I also think it sort of depends on the current state of affairs with any additional franchise cast. Like if people are no longer able to film with each other and it just becomes like a hate factory, that's not interesting uh, or dynamic to watch, let alone, I'm sure, produce and create. Um, so do we need new house? I don't think we need new housewives right now. I'm not against it, but I would be a little more focused on trying to avoid the bloat of like new franchise, new franchise. Not that I think that this is necessarily going to happen, but LOL, me thinking of Salt Lake City when there's Dubai, which to me did not have a terribly great first season. I thought it had an incredible premiere. And then it was difficult for it to like sort of hold my attention at many points. So we'll see what even how Dubai reboots itself. I haven't really been focused on a lot of the casting stuff. That's another thing, much like content. I don't really track um, a ton of like ins and outs of info on the ground as, um, you know, various casts film. So no idea what's going to come out. But I do have to say that there's something to be said for shows that aren't leaking 24-7 because it leads to that exhaustion where you know everything by the time episodes air. So there's something nice about the fact that, for example, I don't know a goddamn thing about 
um, New York um, girls trip, um, I really genuinely don't know a lot about what's going to be at the forefront of Beverly Hills. I certainly haven't heard anything about Dubai, and I like it that way. I like to watch these shows be surprised by the trailer and watch these moments and not already have in my head, oh my God, the Daily Mail already you know, published 35 articles about this one thing happening. And either that does become the focus or it's a nothing burger. So um, I like I like not hearing a lot of info as um, things develop during filming because I feel like that takes often a lot of the fun out of surprise. And however much we can get surprised, I enjoy it. Okay, another question. How are you feeling? I know heat isn't your friend. I'm feeling okay. It is unfortunately hot as balls in New York today. 104 degrees was the real heat. I think it was like 87 or 88. So I'm recording this and then going to go outside. I've been shut in, unfortunately, which is not great for me and for my mental health. But because of the smoke and because of my like health stuff, um, that's difficult. But you know, talking to doctors, they're hopeful that I'm going to have a summer to be outside because of some uh, lifestyle changes that were advised. I have my Gatorade Zero that I'm sipping during recording this to keep my electrolytes um, delightful (laughs) and (laughs) huge um, uptake of salt. And for people who have joined AG at whatever point in time, just a very quick summary that I got sick in from an unexplained illness in 2017 and had actually the pod go on pause during that time because it was, I had a lot of neurological symptoms and I really truly couldn't put two words together, which is very different. from me recording these days when I can put together three. Um, So got tested for everything, misdiagnosed a bajillion times. And um, so, uh, and then uh, heat has always been a consideration, but I went for a walk last year knowing it was hot. because I was like, I can do it. And I'm feeling anxiety. And the way that I prevent anxiety is by going for a walk. And then almost unfortunately died because I had um, hyponatremia, which is dangerously low sodium. And uh, went to the ER and woke up in the ICU a day and a half later. Um, so that's something that my docs are very focused on. And I'm so happy that after however math works from 2017 to 2023, we uh, seemingly are, are, are focused on this same, um, uh, what, what am I even trying to say? I'm sorry, guys. The same um, uh, practical diagnosis, although there was a little bit of a change <laughs> during my last appointment, and I was like, no more of this. <laughs> I don't want to hear. I don't think you have this thing. I was like, no, no, <laughs> that is unacceptable. But it is also the reality for a lot of people who have chronic illnesses that are difficult to diagnose is that oftentimes it's it can be about treatment and knowing that there are some things that are unexplainable. But I'm happy that after another follow-up appointment, we were like, okay, I think it's this and this. And I'm keeping some of the details um, private because uh, I, um, you know, announced on the podcast in 2017 after I had gotten diagnosed with um, not Lyme disease that I had Lyme. And then I think weeks later, maybe, or a month later, when it was like, not that, but it could be this. It's just, it doesn't do anyone any good. And I also, just for my own privacy, prefer not to. But I'll just say that um, there's some nervous system stuff and some... Um, brain, kidney, whatchamacallit, that my body doesn't know really how to process um, salt and electrolytes and water balance. And, you know, if you had said that to me 
prior to me almost dying last year, I would have been like, oh, that sucks. But I wouldn't have known how dangerous that can be. <laughs> now I know. Um, and it is also one of those things I had a brain episode during the hyponatremia because my like brain was swelling and whatever, blah, blah. And the doctor who started uh, treating me in the ICU, who's still my doctor now, who's a fucking angel sent from Earth, my nephrologist, said, you know, had um, there not been medical invention, there would have been a 90% chance of mortality. I think they used to call it fatality, but I think the proper turn is mortality. Whatever. I would have been series finale, which is a devastating, anxiety-riddled thing to process that I am now laughing about because I don't want to do the other part of that emotion. Um, But it also is to say that as a result of my brain episode, there are moments where my uh, where I like forget words. So I know that there have been recent episodes where I'm like, oh, I almost said that word and it's not real. LOL, how silly. And it's like, no, that is a literal real word um, where I um, uh, mix idioms, which might also be the wrong use of idiom. Um, there are words that will just come out that I don't even recognize, do not make grammatical sense. And it definitely affects me a lot more speaking than it does writing where I can just like sit and focus. And I was told the recovery from the brain episode was like, oh God, I don't even remember, maybe like 10 months. And we are now at month, I guess, 13 and a half-ish. And so I still notice differences. Uh, You know, flip side, happy to be here. So would prefer that. It is though a little annoying when I hear from people who say, you speak slowly, you know, uh, move more quickly, do that, or the way that you communicate X, Y, Z. And sometimes that becomes a learning opportunity to say, listen, this is an example of why asking someone to change the way they communicate is not only unrealistic, but can be a little upsetting to somebody who may have had the ways they communicate impacted by, um, you know, a, a significant health uh, situation. Um, but also you can't really change how you talk. And it's like, you can listen to how someone speaks and find value in that or not entirely up to you, but suggesting that you have a right in, um, I guess, changing the way a person speaks is, um, a wild, (laughs) it's like, the use of Karen is so dumb and it's often overused, but there is like this idea of like, I didn't get this thing. So everything has to change as a result. And that doesn't work with brains. And, you know, so I sometimes speak and I, I take my time. I'm also, as you probably can tell from episodes prior to that, prior to 2017, really, um, not necessarily prior to last year, is that I'm selective and, and um, I try to be, I try to um, be considerate um, truly and like, having consideration for what it is that I'm trying to say, which means a little thought adds a little pause now and again. And that's just the way I am. And we should be very um, judicious, especially in how people demand that women's voices be changed or criticized, whether it be the volume or tenor or flow or dynamic. It is quite interesting to see the ways that women podcasters are judged and penalized versus men. It's an ever-shifting um, can of bullshit. Um, okay, continuing on. Uh, how did you begin your podcast journey? Well, I had been talking to the peeps on Facebook, may its memory be a blessing, so often about housewives that I thought 
maybe I should talk about this. Um, I had been working consulting as I did, as I continued to do for a number of years until COVID, um, was working as an event consultant and producing an annual gala celebrating um, the awards for excellence for um, prominent journalists and uh, leaders in New York, electeds, you know, politicians or nonprofit heads, whomever it is, whomever it was rather, and um, had I think I was like working on a podcast event or something where people were developing podcasts or that information had been given to me. I forget if I was involved in creating an event or had heard about it. And that just kind of inspired me to think and say to myself, you know what, maybe I should do a podcast. So prior to, I guess, 2016 or 15, I don't even remember what year it was. It could have been prior to that. I really had been thinking in my head, oh, you know what? I really, I, I would be interested in doing a podcast. I'm interested in writing, obviously talking, LOL. And there is something about that that speaks to me. And also I was thinking about having some sort of putting, creating some sort of show. And at one point, a friend who was a videographer suggested video. And I was like, absolutely not, because I know myself and I'm not going to want to put myself on camera consistently week after week. That's also arduous work that I do not excel in and would be extremely expensive um, and very, very hard to continue and be consistent. And I'm glad I didn't do that. Although <laughs> I keep being told that I need to start a YouTube, which I will do at some point before the end of days, which I guess is in, you know, October. So um, look for that. Um, and, you know, had been, uh, had visited a friend in Seattle who worked on strategy for a worldwide recognized charity and had been helping me trying to figure out what it was that I was going to do. And I remember I was like, let's start with the title. And I was like, I want to do something that helps people. And I'm so focused on social action and, and um, discussing the news and what can I do that whatever. And I, I was thinking so big picture in that way. But meanwhile, what was it that I wanted to talk about every day? It was housewives. So I thought to myself, you know, I'm thinking about this big, grand idea, but what it is that I'm actually passionate about, the conversations that I not only value but seek are about the Real Housewives. So why not do that? So someone who I'd gone to college with, OG of the AG, Damian Bellino, and I used to be involved in so much passionate conversation on each other's walls, I guess, on Facebook that I said to him one day, um, listen, come over and why don't we just like record ourselves talking and see what happens as a result? And I borrowed a shitty recorder, hashtag old audio, which we then used for the first year and a half of the pod, possibly longer. And Damien came over and we just sat down and just started to record. And the wild thing is that genuinely the conversations, I haven't listened to the first episode of AG in a while, but while opinions have changed over and over and over um, again in the time that uh, in the time that AG has existed, uh, I think the kind of conversations has stayed pretty consistent because I've had a pretty consistent um, um, sense of curiosity of like trying to understand, of you know, saying, how do you feel about X, Y, and Z and trying to really understand the path that led to that opinion versus the opinion itself, which also obviously is a big focus on AG 
Um, and it was the first Housewives podcast to do that. It's been around for a minute. 400 plus episodes. Are you fucking kidding me? I feel like something wild needs to happen for 500. I have a couple ideas. But if you have one as well, I would love to um, uh, hear from you about it. Because we've got a little bit of time. I think 70 or so episodes prior to that happening. Um, and so that's how the podcast journey began. Have you had any luck with your doctor quest? Your experiences are so frustrating. Yes and yes. Um, I can't get over the below deck triangle of Daisy, Gary, Colin. Feel like no one is discussing it. Well, hate to break it to you. I have no idea what you're talking about because I haven't watched below deck in years. I don't see myself going back anytime soon. I could be convinced not to catch up, but to watch a specific like upcoming season or recent season. So let me know about that. But I don't know, God forbid, who Daisy, Gary, and Colin are. I assume that they're stews maybe, or something, um, members of the staff. Um, I haven't seen Below Deck in a while. And it, at a certain point, it's just a matter of capacity. And there's so much other TV that I love, which is why I'm so happy with taking it personally, with having that opportunity to deep dive <laughs> and just like that, among other masterpieces. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know that I would go back. You know what, actually, what show I really want to not necessarily even catch up on because it's been so long, but watch is the most recent season of Top Chef. That is something I'd love to do. And I'd also love to watch this current season of Project Runway. But it's just at, at a certain point, it's capacity and timing. So hopefully, hopefully um, to be continued. Do you think Emily could be the fourth amigo or is she too young? I don't know about age. But as far as chemistry, I don't know that I see Emily Simpson as one of the um, Trace Amigas. I don't think so. Um, I don't think she has that kind of dynamic or closeness with Shan, Tamra, or Vicky, but would love to see them hang out, right? Um, another question about the Trace Amigas. Are the Trace Amigas just for show? Well, I think that um, you can have a genuine closeness that starts from a place of necessity. Like the idea of Shan and Tamara coming back to each other could be because they wanted to come back to each other. And it also could be because it was a thing that pushed forward mutual interests when it came to storyline alliances. And, you know, I guess you could call it doing good work on, as a member of the cast. So while I'm happy to see the Trace Amigas united again, um, the idea that it is just for show, it's like, no, there could be genuine, to me, there could be genuine um, friendship there and love for each other. But did that you know, reunion happen as a result of understanding the power and value of like maybe three together versus apart. Yeah, that absolutely could be in play. But I love to see it. And the video of their first live show seemed wild. And if they came to New York, would be curious for how that goes. Um, okay. Have you ever watched the Sydney and Melbourne Housewives? Best and funniest. I have seen Melbourne, the first three-ish seasons and then it was harder to access in these United States uh, without a VPN, which I refuse to get um, because I'm allergic to technology. So if there was a way to watch, I, I don't even remember of the last season if it was four or five. I don't I don't even know where they're at. Um, but the last season that I saw, uh, if there was a way to watch it for free in the US, I would be down to catch up. That is something that I would um, that I would uh, be happy to deep dive. 
Were you always so comfortable sharing your views or did you think, fuck it, this is me? Oi, um, great question. We're, I think I have always been comfortable in seeing and finding and owning the value of having a voice and a specific voice. I do also think the ways that I've used that voice um, have changed over the years. Things that I discussed in the ways that I discussed things on AG and social media in however the last six or seven years, someone tell me how long AG has been along, um, I wouldn't probably do today. Um, And that's come as a result of just me growing and changing and also like therapy and thinking of the impact of how I use my voice in a way that's just sometimes at a certain point rage, that's not a healthy or sustainable dynamic. So finding a way to share my perspective without being so like isolating just in having conversation has been something that I've been focusing on just through my own like mental health journey because I was acidic at points, I think, um, in a way that wasn't healthy or productive, Uh, which isn't to say that you can't have a passionate perspective about opinions about life or politics or whatever, health, whatever it is. Um, but it is to say that there's a certain amount of toxicity sometimes in in isolating those conversations as the only ones that can ever exist, um, just in how we communicate as people in the world that I probably wouldn't do. And there have been some things that I regret saying and doing. And the beautiful opportunity of life is that I give myself the ability to normalize changing your mind um, based on new information, that I don't feel the need to shame myself and just to say how you know, honestly, how great is it to continue to evolve and change? And the ways that I'm comfortable communicating now might change in a minute. Who's to say? I'm comfortable allowing myself to um, have that kind of process without judging how I behaved before, because the reality is how I behaved before is how I felt I needed to. Um, And so there we are. So yeah, I've always been, I mean, I was, you know, political when I was a kid at eight, um, I was volunteering for presidential campaigns before I could vote. Um, my parents were politically active. Um, and that's actually, P.S., one of the reasons how I became obsessed with guinea pigs. My dad was helping, I think, a fellow partner at his former, former law firm, um, which was a big law firm in Providence who was like running for some sort of political office locally. And the opponent had a pig <laughs> as like, I don't even know what. It was a part of their campaign. So my dad at a campaign event as I don't know what gave this person whose campaign he was like helping a guinea pig, which was, I guess, funny. But then what do you do with the guinea pig after? So Tom then was adopted by my family and my brother. And I loved Tom, um, who then became Thomasina when Tom had some baby Toms shortly after arriving. And that is where my guinea pig obsession began. Um, Unfortunately, we had to rehome Tom after a long period of time because my dad was allergic and my mom gave uh, me the option, I remember, and said, you know, either Tom has to move out or your father. And I was like, well, wish dad the best, but (laughs) Tom's staying. And then it turns out that I became allergic. And this is something that Damien told me (laughs) when I asked. um, We went to dinner on the anniversary of when I almost died because he uh, quite literally saved my life, which you can read about on the social media post that I wrote to mark the day. Um, 
And he said that apparently, because I don't remember any of it and because of my brain stuff and whatever. And um, he said that at a certain point they were like asking me my allergies or something. And I just kept repeating my allergies on a loop. And I was like, this medication, this family of medications, another medication and guinea pigs. <laughs> and that's what I just kept saying, because I'm sure at that point I knew I was slowly going out of consciousness and I just needed people to be aware of what the fuck is up. And the fact that I included guinea pigs. Yeah. You who knows what could be in an ER and later ICU. You know, we, we need to protect ourselves. Um, I do love a guinea pig, though. I'm obsessed with them. I don't think I have thought before about like whether or not I could potentially adopt one. But I guess the, it's not even the allergy that uh, concerns me. It's just the day to day, the management of it. I think I just have to stay obsessed on social. Thoughts on all the new New York uh, thoughts on new New York from all the promos and Crappy Lake. Believe it or not, I have not watched the full trailer for Crappy Lake because I got into this habit of doing live reactions to trailers on Patreon. And um, as a result, when Crappy Lake came up, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a live reaction for Patreon and then didn't because I think there was so much other stuff coming out at that point about I don't even remember what. Um, and I still haven't watched it in full, but I've heard it's amazing, not just by Andy every five minutes. And so I'm excited to watch it. And now I feel weird about like watching the trailer because it's been out for so long, but I'm excited for it. I think it was such a smart, good, total to me out of left field idea. And it's going to be nuts. And um, I'm excited to watch it. And New York, we already covered. Um, I need to hear you. This is from an Instagram story when it hasn't timed out yet. So someone said, I need to hear you process Kyle and Moe's breakup. Well, lucky for you, I already did. A um, couple more questions, guys, and then we are going to wrap. And thanks to everybody who sent in their questions because um, it's been fascinating. Hi, uh, looking back, what housewives trajectory over the years has surprised you the most? I'm asking because I'm watching Beverly Hills for the first time and currently on season six. Rinna seems like a fun, kooky girl's girl. And knowing what I know about her now, absolutely not. But if I only watch season six, I'd be floored if you told me she ends up a villain. With your depth of experience. Oh, hello. That was for me. I'm wondering whose evolution you find most surprising in a good way or a bad way. Obviously, Rinna is bad. LOL. Um, I would say in a good way, Portia. I think the way we were introduced to her versus the good she has done in the world and the ways I just think she's so fucking smart and hilarious is um, definitely was definitely a surprising evolution and one I'm thankful for. And that's one of those circumstances she could have been one and done. I think Andy's talked about that, except that the shock divorce um made them, I guess, interested in keeping her around. And thank God they did, because Portia is an exceptional housewife. Uh, speaking of all things Atlanta, I would say, I don't know if this is about a housewife trajectory or the, the uh, evolution of how I felt, but I really, really, really strongly disliked Kenya for a very long time. And she's now in my top five, which is not to say I always agree with her behavior, but to say I really value her and um, also think she has a really interesting, unique perspective and voice, even though, for example, some of that stuff during the brunch, I, during the Gucci brunch, I did not love. But I don't need to love um, everything a housewife does to appreciate and value them. I think that's a part of 
the picks that I have on my top five, which now that I'm thinking out loud, could I even name it? I know I went through this on a recent AG. So top five that I remember, Shannon, Kyle, Kenya, Heather Gay no longer, may her memory be a blessing. She got replaced by Dolores. And I forget who was number five. Someone will tell me. I truly do not. Is it Garcelle? I truly don't remember. Oh, Lisa Barlow. LOL. Um, so there you go. Um, yeah, that is. And, and as far as someone who surprised me by being bad, again, not due to their behavior on camera, but due, the, due to the complicated way that I feel for them now, I would say Bethany, just based on the fact that I was a total throwdown I will truly go to war and battle for her and for over my love for her when AG first began. And now I have very complicated feelings about her. And there are still moments, especially obviously when rewatching seasons, because the Bethany from season seven and obviously season three, I would say in, in many ways doesn't live here anymore. But, um, you know, she's in she was she was and could be in the future again an incredible housewife and she also annoys the absolute fuck out of me. So that's a little bit of a shift. Um and as far as a Rina-esque person, uh who in whose opinion of whose opinion whatever, again, words are fun. Um whose opinion I've changed or reflected upon you know what? That's going to be a little bit of a TBD to be continued. I really don't have an answer. Um, I feel like I should, um, but I don't necessarily have um, a specific answer to that. I would have to think about that a little bit. I'm trying to think. Um, gosh, I mean, I've been on such a journey with Candace, but I really, I really enjoy her again. Um, so that might be surprising because I think I really enjoyed her when she first started and was definitely a big fan for a while. And then I was like, mm, maybe not. And now I've come around to her and really enjoy her on the show again. See, normalize changing your mind based on new information. But she wouldn't be the example, I would say. That's definitely not um, like the um, devolving scale of someone starting out great and then being terrible because I, I don't think um, I don't think of her in that way. Um. Gosh, I'm thinking of New York. Oh, you know what? Honestly, probably Siggy. Yeah, I did not expect that the way that Siggy joined in season one, which was like certainly emotional, funny, quick. I felt a sense of humility. Um, she seemed open. She seemed able to laugh at herself. She is um, extremely militant now in how she behaves and is uh, cutting and sarcastic and cruel in, in stuff on social that makes me feel really sad, um, which to me, I can even separate from some of her political opinions, although they're also connected just in how she carries herself. And um, it's is a very much a separationist and a little bit of an, a proud isolationist, I think is really sad. And um, I remember talking to her when Marge joined but before the season aired and she talked a lot about how she was bullied and isolated and I was like oh my god because the Siggy that I had known I, you know I was like oh if you're telling me that you're bullied and isolated I believe it and I don't know that um we saw that uh reflected in at least the edit of Jersey um that then came out I, re I remember being confused when I watched the season I was like oh wait but the stuff that she told me happened I'm not seeing 
really just in the vibe, um, let alone the edit, which is a different conversation. Um, so maybe Siggy, oy, um, what an answer, what a thought. Um, but that's probably the one that is um, most uh, unique. Um, longish question. I generally don't think lots of social media activity during filming is great for a show and makes me nervous for Vanderpump Rules season 11. Am I being a curmudgeon? Is there a path forward for Bravo where there can be leaks during filming and the season can still be compelling while airing? I think we're heading in this direction regardless. Um, so I'm hopeful if there's something I'm not seeing. Thanks for all you do. Great question. I don't know. Um, Someone messaged me the video of VPR um, beginning filming and the fact that it was just like a sea of phones and concerned that this is going to be more zooish than normal when it comes to people uh, either attending events that they know will be filmed or just interacting with uh, the cast of VPR in the wild. And it wasn't immediately concerning to me because I think that's also just like the nature of going to an event at, I think they were at TomTom Tom at that point. Um, and it was like a see you next Tuesday thing with James. That's always going to be wild. I went to see you next Tuesday with James at Sir ugh, years ago, and it was a lot of fun. But um, that's me saying, ugh, when it comes to like, what year was it? Uh, and people had all their phones out before. So it's hard for me to separate how different this is. But I know that it is because I can just imagine them not at like a Tom Tom style. The vibe is going to be that regardless, but like maybe out to lunch that that's going to be difficult. And the yeah, the leaks are going to be difficult. I don't have an answer. I don't know how that will affect the season or if it will become a part of the season um, as a little bit of a friend of the idea of this kind of celebrity and attention how do you exist in that like are people going to be talking about oh I you know went for a walk and I was talking on the phone and someone overheard something and then that became a blog and now I'm fighting with a cast member because of it I, that could be a part of it I don't I don't really know um and is there a path forward certainly because I think that at a, at, at a certain point attention on this and obsession with it will shift when other storylines come out not to say that they will be as shocking is what happened with the Scandaball, but to say that our attention and obsession will become will redirect. Um, so it could be a ish, and then <laughs> as an issue, um, my favorite thing is to um, make words smaller because I guess my brain just thinks um, that'll save time, and then I explain what the word is that I just said, and then that just adds more time than ever. Um, so TBD on that to be continued. Uh, another satchel, last satchel, just, and by satchel, I mean question. I hope you're well. Just a quick question for the Q&A. I only got into Housewives just under two years ago, and I'm still playing catch up. Oh my God, mazel tov to you for joining. That would be, I don't know if I would be, excuse me, able to do that. I think I might be too stressed out or nervous about the amount of content to catch up. So kudos to you because that is, that's a lot, especially to join this universe. That's honestly incredible. I plan to swerve Orange County altogether as a consensus seemed to be that it was past its best. I also wasn't enamored of Vicky or Tamara on Girls Trip season two, but I'm seeing so much positivity around the current season of Orange County. Could I jump in now and just enjoy it without feeling the need to trawl through the previous 16 gulp seasons? What do you say? Thanks so much. Love the pod. Your chats give me life. Well, thank you so much. Um, 
I mean, do you want me to keep it real for you? Or do you want me to be like, you can do whatever you want? Because you can absolutely do whatever you want. What I would probably recommend doing, and this is going to be chaotic, so truly cancel all of your plans, is to watch 16 or whatever the fuck season that we're on to catch up in real time and also go back. Um, I know that people have recommended like you can you should watch seasons, you know, seven through ten so you can see the Vicky Brooks era. But I also think Orange County is the literal first franchise. It's the franchise that started it all. It would be the thing that I would encourage you to watch just because you get to see what this actually was and how it kind of changed the uh, reality TV, let alone obviously um, Bravo game. So I would say to start with season one if you can and just take your time. Um, if you do plan to start with season one, then don't start with like seven through 10. Just go to season one and see how you feel. Um, you could do the um, cheater brand of just watching reunions, but I don't recommend it. Um, And there's a lot of dynamics that come up and shift, you know, like to see how Tamara really changed the very nature of what it means to be a housewife and the strategy. I think that's helpful to see from the start. Um, I think that would be, you know, a helpful thing to see. Um, Okay, a couple more because I'm just having so much goddamn fun answering this. How did you end up at that drama camp with the towel story? Um, Walnut Hill, which I discussed attending on an episode of Taking It Personally with Tom Smith-Smythe talking about the other two, which, P.S., we need to do a (laughs) follow-up because of the series finale and a Hollywood Reporter expose that came out um, this past week. Um, So Walnut Hill is the drama camp I attended with one of the stars of the other two and a lot of other... um, several other performers you might now recognize. Uh, I ended up at that camp because it was as close to summer stock as you could possibly find for um, someone who has been involved in theater and performance since I was little and was very, very intense. They also have like sort of a prep school style conservatory program for um, students to attend as a high school, as a boarding school in Natick, Massachusetts. Um, And then they had a summer program. So I went to the summer program for a couple years. It's one of the best things that I did um, because it introduced to me a certain kind of intensity to an application and study of, and just like the performance of um, theater and musical theater that I hadn't experienced in like, you know, kids theater growing up and high school stuff and prepared me really well for college because I then went to school for musical theater performance. Um, So another question, what was your plan A and B after college and high school? Did, Did those plans pan out? So I studied musical theater performance at Marymount Manhattan College here in New York City and intended to audition after graduating and just got extremely nervous about the idea of being typed out, which is a thing that, does this even happen still, uh, where you show up to a musical theater audition and you like stand in a line and they type you in or out based on truly how you look and if that fits the character they're trying to cast. So before you do literally anything, it's like you're totally 
seemingly judged or analyzed based on your appearance with for me with some like history of stuff that I've talked about that I'm not going to get into now was very concerning and then I shifted into producing I had started a musical theater review my freshman year of college because of that interest and passion for social action and fundraising and my musical theater performance and me wanting to raise funds um, at that point for the Chris and Dana Reeve Foundation because of my bro oh, look how this is full circle because of my brother's spinal cord injury so that annual student cabaret which featured a lot of um people who you might now know a friend of mine Annalie Ashford who was my RA when I was in school and performed in the first BFB as we called it um when I was a freshman and she was a, a sophomore um after graduating became uh, an annual celebrity cabaret. So Annalie also um, performed in it as a as the superstar she always has been. Um, and that's been really exciting to see friends from college who have really established themselves in musical theater or TV come back and perform in this annual show, which I produced for five years, I want to say, on and off Broadway. So at one point I was closing ringing the closing bell at nasdaq and i have um some plaque from some proclamations rather in my apartment when we had born for broadway day believe it or not proclaimed by um the what's it called here in manhattan and city council also did a proclamation so i had the manhattan borough president proclaim um a born for broadway day and then later another year had the city council proclaim born for broadway day so um i've lived many lives and it's interesting when you think of a person's identity that i don't know what i would have called my identity growing up but during college and after it was definitely born for broadway that that was a thing that people potentially might have known me from the connection obviously being very close to my family's um unfortunate circumstance uh continuing on and then with Andy's girls now my identity is in many ways connected to this podcast which is really interesting because I would assume the vast majority of people listening have no idea what Born for Broadway is and the vast majority of people who supported Born for Broadway possibly probably have no idea what Andy's girls is and it's just so interesting to see the ways you can either create a totally different chapter for yourself or just have a bunch of different kinds of passions. Um, I guess the uniting factor there is in the idea of creation um, because of seeing that there was a way to be of service when it came to Born for Broadway and also something that didn't exist. And I wanted to give fellow performers in college an opportunity to perform believe it or not when you go to school for musical theater it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be doing a lot of musical theater aside from classes and so that was the thing that I did and after graduating I was like you know what I want to expand this so that celebrities can participate so then it became um a combination of sort of like emerging talent with you know Tony and Emmy winning um performers so I would be executive producing this annual one night gala um for it the proceeds and attention always went toward paralysis related causes um through the fine art of musical theater um 
and and it was really sort of an example or showcase I think really for the love I have for Jeff is really what it came down to at the end of the day um what was your Bravo hook Real Housewives of Orange County I my my Bravo hook honestly was a non-Bravo show Desperate Housewives which was the inspiration for the Real Housewives of Orange County and um that's the thing that got me in uh, who was the first housewife you saw yourself wanting to be friends with? We all look for ones we see ourselves in, but who was like, damn, they'd be fun? Um, I guess Shannon? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, sorry, Bethany. Yeah, Bethany Frankel. Um, I don't know that I thought a lot of our imaginary friendship. I just thought of myself just honestly loving her and thinking that she was probably real great IRL. Um, what is something you would want Pedro Pascal to know about you that I love him and I can't wait for him to come home because he just ran out for a couple errands and I'm like, Pedro, answer your phone. It's so odd that we're long-term partners obsessed with each other and he won't answer my calls, but I guess he's just at Whole Foods, um, you know, and he'll be right back soon. Uh, and this is another question. What was your first heartbreak? John Barber, shout out to John Barber in the sixth grade. We dated for four days and then he dumped me at a sleepover while he was jumping for fun into the sleepover host bushes outside. And I loved him for a very long time and I have run into him in New York, which is always fun to see someone that you grew up with, went to high school with, and were quite literally obsessed with. <laughs> it's just a person you run into. Um, along the street. And sh am I thinking to myself, should I have used his last name? I don't think it matters. Um, so <laughs> there's that. I doubt he's listening to Andy's girls. And how dare he not, by the way? How absolutely <laughs> dare he not? Um, listen, I got so many great questions. I didn't have a chance to answer all of them, but I definitely answered a whole fucking ton. Um, it is now late. <laughs> I'm the third and there's shit I have to do. Shit you guys have to do too, which is I assume continuing the conversation of Mauricio and Kyle. Oh my God. Um, listen, thanks for listening to this episode. Thank you for being AGs. Happy July 4, if that means something to you or not. Stay safe while you're on the road doing what you're doing and don't dive. Look at me talking about this without crying. What a fucking miracle. Um, just really please don't dive. That's the one wish that I have for you on this Independence Day. And again, that piece that I wrote on a previous anniversary of Jeff's accident, a previous July 4, I'll post on social because there's really no other way I could recap it or describe it aside from words that I wrote crying on an Amtrak several years ago. Um, on that note, do you guys like now, or maybe I've always done this. Did I just say on that note eight to 10 times? I hate it. It drives me insane as I say it, and I can't stop saying it. So say it with me now, okay? Three, two, one. On that note, thanks for listening to AG. Sign up for the Andy's Girls Patreon, number one way to support the podcast. I truly can't believe there's a new episode out on July 4th. But that's where we are, a new AG classic just for you. And you want these episodes to continue? Support the pod by joining the AG page. You get exclusive bonus episodes and so much more. $2 a month gets me um, your you know, support gets you my love and sass. $5 a month gets you two bonus episodes. $10 a month gets you four. There's also a premium tier where you can record an episode with me, yours truly, or just have a side private conversation if you would like for it not to be recorded. Happy to do that as well. And um, also, if you wanted to listen to the live show, Friend of the Pod, Dylan Hafer, 
and I did, which we recorded here in New York City the day after the VPR finale, the Scandaval Spritz, that is up on the AG Patreon. So if you weren't able to um, join us then, you certainly can now. The audio is available. All right, guys, guess what I'm about to say? Three, two, one. On that note, Oh, yeah. Follow me on Instagram um, at Dame Galley. Okay. Three, two, one. Again, on that note, on that note, on that note. Thanks for listening. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Independence Day, which I can't say without laughing. And because of really a very dark sense of humor when it comes to the ways that my family processes this. I hope that you were able to process this episode. I truly cannot believe that the Kyle and Mauricio stuff came out during recording, but that is just one of those moments of timing um, in which wild things happen. Uh, So I'm curious for your thoughts and feels. I'd love to do a Patreon bonus episode. Do you see me trying to fucking close this up down and I keep on talking. I would love to do a page deep diving your thoughts and feels. So send me your satchels of gold. DM them to me. No voice notes, please. Include your first name in town or non and let me know your perspective on Kyle and Mo and the impact on BH and how we all process this and move forward. And guys, on that note, <laughs> for the 16,000th time, bye bye. Thank you.